Well, do uh, have your Bibles open uh, at the passage we read uh, in Colossians chapter 1, and we'll be focusing on verses 9 uh, through to 23. But as we begin, uh, let me ask you a question, and uh, I wonder uh, how you'd answer. Do you live a full life? Do you live a complete, uh, fulfilled life? Uh, We all want that life, don't we? To live a full, complete, happy, purposeful life. And in fact, all around the world, people are looking for things and looking to add things to their life uh, which will make them somehow more complete and more full. Uh, And perhaps you can think of your work colleagues and your neighbours and your friends and perhaps some of them. It's money and they think, well, if I get more money, uh, that will somehow give me a, a fuller, more complete life. Or for some... Uh, Perhaps it's family. Uh, For others, perhaps it's career. And whatever it is, uh, people all around uh, are looking for a full, complete, purposeful life. But actually, many people uh, who wouldn't say they're Christians actually do a lot of things in their life uh, that they would call spiritual because they hope that somehow that would somehow make their life fuller uh, and more complete. So perhaps uh, you've had this experience. Uh, People have come into the place where you work and they uh, know that the workplace is very stressful and so people will come in and say, uh, and give you some training and they say, well, you need to uh, use these different breathing techniques uh, and that will just make your life a whole lot better. Or perhaps... Uh, You need to meditate and, you know, do some meditation and somehow uh, that will make you uh, more full, uh, more complete. And it's called spiritual. Or people might do yoga and they say, well, somehow that's spiritual. Uh, Or others might say, uh, well, I have a diet and I follow this kind of diet and this way of eating and it gives me more purpose. And perhaps they're called uh, spiritual. Or others might say, well, I'm conscious of the environment and conscious of the planet. And somehow that gives me purpose uh, and makes me uh, a more complete person. Uh, Novak Djokovic, uh, the tennis player, uh, very well known, uh, won Wimbledon again this year. He's well known for having uh, an extreme liquid diet. He's well known for his meditation. And they say about him, well, he's a spiritual man. But there's no thought of God, no thought of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so people in the world, uh, they somehow think this idea of, well, I need to be spiritual uh, to be more complete. But often uh, there's no thought of God. And actually everyone in the world around is looking for things uh, to give them fulfilment uh, and completeness. Well, notice how Paul prays uh, for the Christians in Colossae, uh, people that he's never met. Uh, Epaphras, in all likelihood, founded the church, and Paul, uh, to our knowledge, uh, hasn't been there. Uh, Paul uh, prays uh, for these Christians in Colossae uh, in verses 9 to 11. And notice uh, the language that he uses. He doesn't cease to pray for them, uh, to ask in verse 9, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, 
being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Did you get the picture? Full, all, every, completeness. As Paul prays for these Christians in Colossae, what is his desire for them? He wants them to live a full complete, uh, fulfilled Christian life. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian believer, I wonder if you'd say that that is your experience, that you live a full, complete, satisfied Christian life. That is what Paul wants for these Christians in Colossae. And actually, as you uh, read the book, he's concerned that they will miss out on this life and they'll somehow uh, not have fullness and completeness. And he wants them uh, to have a full Christian life. So that's his prayer for the Christians in Colossae. And the Christians in Colossae were in danger of adding all kinds of things into their Christianity to try and get this full Christian life. But things... Uh, that did not, in reality, uh, give fullness. And so Paul writes to them, and he says, well, what is it then that you need for a full Christian life? If you're a Christian, it should be something that you want. You want a full, complete, satisfied, joyful Christian experience. What is it that you need? Well, who does Paul speak about Uh, as he writes this letter to the Colossians, as he's concerned that they have this life, well, he writes about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the one who says that he came to give life to the full. Jesus can give you that full life uh, that you long for, that you desire. Jesus is the one that can offer it. And Paul writes about the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who gives life to the full. Three points then uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ and why he is uh, above all, uh, above everything else, supreme. Why he is the only one that can give life and satisfaction to the full. He is the one that you need if you are to grow into a full, complete, mature Christian. Firstly, in verses 12 to 14, Christ alone provides pardon. Christ alone provides pardon. If you are here this morning, if you're a Christian believer, if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've looked at him, his death on the cross, and said he died there for me, and you've placed your trust in Christ, God the Father has blessed you. You are greatly blessed by God if you're a Christian believer. There is great blessing in trusting the Lord Jesus Christ and coming to him. No greater blessing can you know. You've got God the Father who has blessed you. Verse 12, God has done some things for you. Uh, Giving thanks to the Father uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. God has qualified you, if you're a Christian, for an inheritance. 
Now, if a person uh, from abroad wants to come and work in the UK, uh, currently, uh, the current rules state, well, they've got to get a number of points, and if they qualify, if they get enough points, they will qualify for a visa. And so, currently, you get a certain number of points if you uh, know the language, you get a certain number of points if you've got a job offer, and if you've got enough points, um, you'll be qualified to have a visa and you'll be given a visa. Or think of an athlete wanting to go to the Olympics. If they meet the qualifying time, they will go and they will enter uh, the Olympic Games. But when it comes to heaven, when it comes to that inheritance to come, when it comes to eternal life, a life of joy and happiness, no more pain, no more suffering with the Lord Jesus Christ forever, in heaven. It's not you who need to meet the qualification mark, but God qualifies you for an inheritance. There is no work for you to do uh, to get to heaven. There's nothing that you can do to qualify yourself for heaven. God has qualified you for heaven. He is the one who has set his love on you. He is the one who sent his own son the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in your place on the cross. God has done everything necessary for you to go to heaven. He is the one who has qualified you for heaven. No work for you to do. But then as well, what else has God done? He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Now, while you live in the United Kingdom, you are meant to follow the laws of this land. You're meant to obey uh, the laws. And you might not like all of them, uh, but the ones that you can obey that are in accordance uh, with the Bible, you are meant to obey. But if you chose uh, to go and live in France and you decided, well, you're going to emigrate and move to France... You don't anymore have to obey the laws of the United Kingdom. You have to obey the laws of the French government. You have transferred, you've gone from one kingdom to another. Well, what has God done for you if you are a Christian? He has delivered us from the power of darkness. The kingdom that you were in, Satan ruled. The devil ruled. You walked according to the prince of the power of the air. You were under his authority, under his control. You did. Uh, you couldn't do good uh, in yourself. You couldn't muster up the strength to do good. Uh, you couldn't say no to sin. Uh, you lived according uh, to the devil and to Satan. You were under his authority. But when you trust Christ and you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God takes you from the rule of Satan and puts you under the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you follow him, you live for him, you obey him. You no longer are under the authority of Satan, but you have a good, a kind, a loving master, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves to bless, and you live for him. You've been transferred from one kingdom to another. God the Father has blessed you if you are a Christian uh, believer. But notice that all the blessings come through the Lord Jesus Christ. They all come 
through the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. All your sin, all the wrong that you have done, it's like there's this great debt uh, that you owe to God for your sin. There's this great debt that you can never pay. How can you pay the price uh, that your sin uh, deserves? There's this great debt uh, that you owe to God because of your sin. But what has the Lord Jesus Christ done? He has redeemed you. He's freed you. He's bought you. He has paid that debt. 500 years ago, uh, the Spanish uh, went into the Inca Empire and they captured the emperor uh, of the Incas. Uh, I won't try and pronounce his name. But anyway, they captured him. And Guinness World Records estimates that the largest ransom fee ever to be paid uh, was paid by this Inca emperor uh, to set him free. And so the Inca emperor, he said to the Spanish, uh, his uh, captors, he said, look, I've got this huge room and I'll fill it full of gold and you can have all that gold in that room. And then I'll fill it again full of silver. And then I'll repeat it. I'll do it again full of silver. So he's going to fill this room once with gold, twice with silver. It's estimated in today's money uh, to be worth about one and a half billion dollars. And so he paid all this gold and this silver uh, to the Spanish for his release. Now, sadly, uh, for that emperor, uh, he paid all the money and the Spanish took all the money uh, but they didn't release him. All it managed to do was change the way uh, that they executed him. Unsuccessful, $1.5 billion uh, to, to free himself uh, from the rule of the Spanish and it was unsuccessful. But far more valuable, Christ, he has paid the price uh, for your sin. If you are a Christian, He's gone to the cross and paid the debt that you owe. The debt uh, that you owe because of your sin, Christ has gone to the cross and paid the price on the cross. Money could never purchase your salvation. Nothing good uh, that you can do, no good works, good deeds could purchase uh, your salvation. Christ had to go to the cross. Nothing that this world offers can purchase your salvation. If you are to have eternal life, Christ had to go to the cross and he shed his own blood. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. You can be pardoned. You will be pardoned when you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He paid the price on the cross. Forgiveness of sin. So Christ alone provides pardon. Nothing else can forgive your sin. Nothing else can forgive my sin. Only Christ and his death on the cross. Christ alone provides pardon. But then Christ alone is preeminent. Christ alone is preeminent. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, as you look at Christ, as you read of Christ in the Bible, you read of God himself. As you look at Christ, you see God. Jesus Christ is fully God. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son. Jesus Christ is no less God 
than the Father. Jesus Christ is fully God. Hebrews chapter 1, uh, it says something similar. Uh, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, Who, uh, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, Jesus Christ, as you look at him, you see God himself. He is really, truly God. Now, recently, uh, the Royal Mint made an announcement that they would be producing coins and they'd be coming into circulation soon uh, with the uh, head of King Charles. Uh, And the Royal Mint, they produce these coins. And as they produce these coins, they are exact replicas of one another. And you get all kinds uh, of counterfeit coins. I don't know how many are estimated to be in circulation, but they have a defect, a flaw, uh, a fault in these coins. But as the Royal Mint produced the coins, there are no defects, no faults, no flaws in any of the coins that they produce. They're exact replicas of one another. And because they are exact replicas, they are real, genuine money. If you've got an exact replica, it's the real thing. It's genuine uh, legal tender. As you look at Christ, he is the exact replica of God. He is the real God. He is the true and living God. Jesus Christ is fully God. He is not uh, the first to be created, uh, as some would teach, the firstborn over creation. Uh, A while ago, we had a handwritten letter um, with a stamp on. It came through our front door, and it said, you know, to the occupiers of the house, handwritten letter. Uh, It was from a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, They would teach that Christ is the first to be created. That is not uh, what this passage is saying. As a firstborn son... Uh, would inherit uh, historically as a firstborn son would inherit so Christ inherits all of creation he is the creator verse 16 for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth Jesus Christ is the creator again in Hebrews uh, it says something very similar Uh, That God has spoken in these last days to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Christ is supreme. He's above all. He is the creator. Everything was made by Christ. Everything that you can see, everything that you can touch, everything that you can taste, smell, hear, created by the Lord Jesus Christ. All things created by him. Everything that is too small and too microscopic that you can't see it with your human eye, created by Christ. Everything that is too far away uh, and you can't see it again, created by the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that you cannot see because it's in another realm, angels created by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the creator. And he rules over his creation. He is the creator. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him 
all things consist. He holds all things together. He created it all and he holds everything together. He is sovereign over his creation. Nothing is outside of the control of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Vladimir Putin's next breath is given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, your circumstances, they have been given to you by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the energy bills that so many are worried about, they're in Christ's hands. He knows, he holds all things together. Your circumstances, and perhaps there are things in your life where you think, I have no idea why this is happening to me. This is not what I would have chosen for myself. Well, be comforted that they are in the Lord Jesus Christ's hands. He is good, he is kind, he's loving, and uh, he won't let you uh, be tempted beyond what you are able. All your circumstances are in Christ's hands, and one day he will make all things right. The length of your life uh, in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. He rules over his creation. But notice as well that he rules over his church. Uh, verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. Jesus Christ rules over his church. His church worldwide, all those who've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, all those who call him their Lord and Saviour, he is the head. All the church worldwide are to be subject to him. This church here are to be subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head. He is the one who rules. And you as an individual, if you are part of his church, if you've trusted in Christ, you are to be subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. He rules over his church. He's the one who loved his church and gave himself on the cross for his church. He died that he might save his church but also that he might be their Lord. Uh, he is the firstborn from the dead. He was the one, uh, the first to be raised, never to die again, but not only the first in time, but the first in importance. Uh, in 1968, uh, a young American went to the Olympic Games. Uh, his name was Dick Fosbury. Uh, and perhaps now you know which event he did. He did the high jump. Um, and before he came along, uh, everyone who did the high jump uh, used to try and get over the bar using a scissors kick or trying to jump over it forwards. Uh, but Dick Fosbury came to the Olympic Games and he came up with a new technique and it's now called the Fosbury flop. And so he ran up to the bar and he tried to jump over it backwards. And it worked. He won the gold medal. And uh, he found he could jump higher than anyone else by using uh, this technique. Well, what happened at the next Olympic Games? Well, everyone was using that technique. They realised that it was better. They could jump higher uh, than they could have jumped otherwise. And so Dick Fosbury then, he was the first in time to use this technique. No one else had done it before. But he was also the first in importance because he had used this technique and pioneered it. Everyone who's done the high jump ever since has followed him 
uh, and use that technique. Well, Jesus Christ, and he's the firstborn from the dead. He is the first to die uh, and rise again, never to die again. He was the first to rise, never to die again. But also he's the first in importance. As a Christian, you have great hope for the future. Because Christ has died and risen again, many will follow in his footsteps. All who've trusted in the Lord Jesus will follow. Even though you die, you will live again. You will rise again. First in importance, Christ has been raised and you have great hope for the future. So Christ alone provides pardon. Christ alone is preeminent. He rules his creation. He rules over his church. But then Christ alone brings peace. Christ alone brings peace. Verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. When Adam fell in the Garden of Eden, the pinnacle of God's creation, human beings, Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't just human beings that were affected by the fall. All of God's creation was subjected to the curse. The pinnacle had fallen and all of God's creation was subjected to the curse. All creation suffers. All creation longs to be released from the suffering and the bondage uh, that it's under. And we see, don't we, we see uh, disease, we see disasters, uh, we see death. And it's not as God made it and creation is crying out and longing to be released. Well, as the pinnacle then, Adam falls and all creation is subject to a curse. Christ, the second Adam, the one who never sinned, the one who was perfect, who didn't give in to the temptation of the devil, Christ, he succeeds where Adam fails. And as Christ succeeds and is sinless, and as Christ lives a perfect life, and as Christ goes to the cross, all creation is restored. He reconciles his creation, all things to himself. One day there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Why? Because Christ has succeeded where Adam failed, lived that perfect life and made peace through the blood of his cross. So he reconciles his creation, but then he reconciles the church. He reconciles the church. Verse 21 and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. My sin uh, and your sin makes you an enemy of God. Now, many people in the world, and perhaps you like to think like this, or you say, well, I'm not like for God like some people are I'm not and I'm not as serious and as radical as some people are I'm not as radical a Christian as some uh I'm not an, I'm not against God I'm not Richard Dawkins I'm not an atheist and many people in the world like to see themselves as somehow neutral 
uh, before God. Well, I'm not like you, like really serious, a really serious Christian, but I'm not against God. And many people will say that, uh, those kind of things. But, you know, you can't be Switzerland, you can't be neutral uh, when it comes to God. Switzerland, who famously are neutral in wars, you cannot be neutral uh, when it comes to God. By nature, uh, you are an enemy of God. Your sin, my sin, uh, makes you, makes me an enemy of God. So you are either an enemy of God or something has been done to bring about peace between you and God. You can't be in the middle. Uh, You're either an enemy or something has been done to bring about peace. Who is the only one to bring peace between human beings and God? Well, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet now he, Christ, has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. Here is God, the sovereign creator, Jesus Christ, taking on flesh. And as he dies, as his body is put on the cross and as he suffers on the cross, there is peace between God and mankind. A number of years ago, um, I was able to visit uh, some missionaries uh, in Indonesia, and there are many tribes uh, in the area. Uh, And one of the tribes, uh, the Sawi tribe, uh, had missionaries working amongst them for many years, and they went in in the uh, 50s or 60s. A Canadian family uh, went in to share the gospel with this tribe that had never heard Uh, anything before and as they're going in they're getting to teach uh, this tribe they've taught them how to read and how to write and how to put their language down uh, in writing and they're starting to explain the gospel and they've worked uh, through the old testament and they've come to christ but as they come to the death of christ and they're explaining to this tribe what christ has done on the cross the tribe saw Judas as the hero of the story. Because in that tribe, if you could take someone into your confidence and betray them, that was one of the greatest things that you could do uh, in the culture. And so the missionaries were battling, thinking, well, how do we explain that Judas is not the hero of this story? Christ is the one uh, that you should be uh, looking at and uh, seeking to follow. And as they were uh, sort of explaining the gospel, a war broke out between two of the villages in the tribes. And it got quite serious and bows and arrows were flying across and people were starting to get injured. And the missionaries with their young family, uh, they were in the middle. And the missionaries said, well, look, if you're going to keep fighting, and thankfully no one was killed, but people were injured. So if you're going to keep fighting, uh, we're just going to go back home because it's not safe for us to keep our family here. And they said, look, you need to make peace, otherwise we're leaving. And so the two warring villages, they said, well, okay, we don't want you to leave, so we will make peace. And so they did this ritual uh, that they did uh, in this tribe uh, to bring about peace. And what happened was one village lined up on one side, and there was a big clearing in the middle, and the other village lined up on the other side, these two warring villages, And then the missionaries watched as a man from the first village took his newborn son and ran across the great divide 
and presented it to his enemy. And then they watched as the same happened from the other village. A man took his newborn son, ran across and presented it uh, to the enemy village. And as the missionaries asked, well, what was going on uh, in that ritual? They said, well, as long as those sons that have been given uh, to the enemy villages, as long as those two sons live, there'll be peace between these villages. And the worst thing that you could do uh, in that tribe was to do anything uh, to harm the peace child, uh, as these children were called. And so as long as those sons lived, there was peace between those two villages. But a father had to give his son uh, for there to be peace. And of course, the missionaries had their illustration. They said, well, look, this is what God has done for you. God the Father has given his son, the peace child. He's given Christ for you. He is the peace child. He is the one that brings about peace between you and God. And Christ didn't do it. Christ didn't bring about peace by living. But Christ brought about peace as he suffered and died on the cross. And they used that as an illustration. And they understood the gospel and many uh, in that tribe were saved. But God the Father has given his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to take on flesh, to die on the cross so that you might have peace with God. By nature, you are enemies of God, but God has given his own son that you might have peace with him. Christ alone brings peace through his death on the cross in the place of sinners. So how do you live a full Christian life? How do you live a complete full, satisfying, joyful life. What does Paul say? Christ, in verse 22, will present you holy, blameless, above reproach in his sight. Christ is the one that will bring you to spiritual maturity, to spiritual completeness. Christ is the one that you need if you are to live a full, complete Christian life. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. If you are to know life, if you're to know eternal life, you need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and trust him to have your sins forgiven. But if you are to know the full Christian life, if you are to know a complete Christian experience, don't move away from the gospel. Continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. It's Christ you need. As a Christian, you have everything that you need to grow into maturity. A newborn baby, a healthy baby, has everything that they need to grow into a mature adult. Yes, they need to be fed. But all the parts are there. Uh, they have arms, they have legs, they have organs, they have teeth, even though you can't see them. They're all there, and they just need to feed to grow into a healthy adult. A newborn Christian, any Christian, 
You have all you need to grow into maturity, but you need to feed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't move away from the gospel. Each day, pray and thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ. How much does Christ and his work on the cross feature in your devotions in the morning? How will he grow into spiritual maturity, completeness? It's by thinking on Christ and his work on the cross. Each day, read the Bible and read of Christ in all the scriptures and think on him. Be thankful for him. Worship him. He is far above all. He is preeminent. He is supreme. Read of him. Feed on him. You have Christ. What else do you need in your Christian life? He is the one who created this world. What else can you have other than the Lord Jesus Christ? Daily, seek to get to know him better. Feed on him and grow up uh, into full Christian maturity, a complete Christian experience as you feed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't move from the gospel